I received that. Thank you. You feel good. Let me hear you say, I feel good. Turn to your neighbor right now. Tell him, I feel good. Tell him what you mean it. Do you feel good? I feel good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, uh, yep. Pastor Christian, I just got to honor Christian because uh, he was like one of the first, the first person to really just uh, speak life into my life. And uh, yeah, God really took that and he just went a long way with it. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Um, before I get into it, let's all bow our heads and I'll say a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are a good God. We thank you, God, that you are our Father. And we thank you, Lord, that we can just... Father, that you are our Abba. And we thank you so much for that, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that um, because of your son Jesus, we all have the right to be called sons of God. We thank you, Lord, that we can draw near to you tonight, Lord God. And that, Father, you will draw near to us. And so, Father God, right now, Lord, I pray... Father God, that you would just begin to open every single heart in this room right now. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that, Father, as you open up our hearts by your spirit, Lord, I pray the word would go out from my lips, Lord God, into the hearts of every single person in this room, Lord God, to do a mighty work, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that minds right now, Lord, would be opened as well, Lord. And that, Father God, our minds, Lord God, we would be made new in the attitude of our minds tonight, Lord God, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, Lord God, created to be like you, O God, in true righteousness and holiness, O Lord. Father God, I bind up any interfering spirit. I bind up every distracting spirit in Jesus' mighty name. And we command it to go by the authority that has been given to us by your son, Jesus. We command every unclean spirit to leave. And we just speak a loosening of your blessing, of your presence in this place, Lord God. Father, I pray as I speak, you would be watching over those words that it accomplishes the purpose to which you send it to do, Lord. We thank you so much, God. And in Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So I want everyone to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter four. If you don't know where Galatians is, Galatians is before Ephesians. (laughs) I, I know where it's at. I'm just messing around. I feel really good right now. Do you feel good? How are you feeling right now? You feel good? Even if you ain't really feeling it, just say it in faith. Say, I feel good. The more you say it, the better you'll feel. Trust me, it's just faith. All right, is everyone there? Let me hear an amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. We'll say it all together if you have the ESV. All right, one, two, three. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in the NIV, it says you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. All right. So in this letter in Galatians, Paul was writing to a church that had began to be influenced by by like religious people from the outside that the Jews were saying to to the people in Galatia. They were saying that you need to undergo all the all the stipulations of the Jewish law, even though you're a Gentile, to come in to, and, ex, and experience approval from God. That's what he was talking about. And he's, this is his response from that. Paul was writing to a church that had been influenced by those who felt that one had to undergo circumcision specifically. And that they su- must submit to the law in order to be accepted. And they came at Paul with all kinds of different accusations. They came at Paul saying, Paul, you're not a true apostle. But then they also said that he had watered down the gospel pretty much. They said he watered down the gospel to make it appealing to Gentiles, to make it appealing to people like us. And they argued that Christians must submit to the law and must follow these legalistic acts in order to find acceptance. And so, but this is Paul's response. So check it out. Paul's response to that was, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer slaves to sin and we're no longer slaves to the law. But rather, we are sons. So that's what he says in verse 7. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He goes on and he keeps going and he talks in that whole chapter about how they're no longer slaves, but they're sons. 
And then in chapter 5, everyone knows this verse, right? That for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'm just giving you background before I get into it. See, what Paul was talking about in that verse is was saying that we're sons and through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit have been given true freedom. We've all received true freedom. Amen. When we place our faith in Christ and he renews us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive true freedom. Amen. And see, Paul was speaking to a church that had in, in their minds, they had received that true freedom. They believed in Christ. But there was still something that was going on that was submitting them to a yoke of slavery. And so what Paul was talking about when he said a yoke, he wasn't talking about necessarily like a burden. But really he was more referring to like a mindset. You get what I'm saying? Like a yoke of slavery. Do not submit yourselves to a yoke of slavery. A mindset, a belief, a mental stronghold that he he feared that the Galatians were slipping into. He feared that they were going to submit themselves to this through these works, these religious works, and they would be submitted unto slavery. That's how he saw it under the law being under slavery. And so there was a there was a bondage that he was referring to between the law and slavery and then a tension between that and the freedom that comes from knowing Christ. And we all find ourselves in that same place. And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight about, is about going from being slaves to being sons. God wants to take us from being slaves to being sons. I'll say it one more time. God wants to take us from being slaves to being sons. That's a little bit better. But not necessarily that through Christ, you put your belief in Christ and Christ has redeemed you. He's redeemed you from the law. But he said in Galatians 5.1, do not submit yourselves, therefore, to a yoke of slavery. So many times in our Christian walk, we submit ourselves to the mindset of being slaves and not sons. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to I want to crush that. We're going to we're going to approach the word. We're going to crush that because God has not called you to be slaves. He's called you to be sons. He's it's not that he's called you to be sons. He's made you into sons. Whether male or female. We're all sons of God. Amen. So the word I have for you tonight is don't be a slave. Be a son. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Say, don't be a slave. Be a son. It's so comfortable that way. Be a son. Be a man. Be a man. I go to the dollar store. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> See, God is not calling us to be slaves, but so many, so many of us, we walk as slaves. We walk this earth as slaves. Even though Christ has set us free, He has changed us. He has made us new. He's He's redeemed us from law. We no longer live under law. We live under grace. We walk the earth as being slaves. And so I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through the, some characteristics of slaves and then some characteristics of sons. And we're going to, I'm just going to break them down for you. And so the first one, the first characteristic of a slave that I want us to go through is that slaves don't own anything. But sons do. Slaves don't own anything. You know, it's a simple truth about slaves. Slaves, they don't own anything at all. In fact, they are owned, right? I mean, we all know that. That's what makes them a slave, right? Look it up in Webster. It's, you know, a slave, someone who's been bought and they work, blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't look it up, but it's just freestyle. But we, thank you. But we, slaves don't own anything. And yes, it says in the word that we ourselves have been bought by God. We've been bought with a price and that we are servants of the most high God. But when it says that in 1 Corinthians 6, what it's trying to do is it's trying to let you know about your value, right? Letting you know that you're no longer, you're no longer enslaved to this world. 
But when God has brought you, he's brought you out of that. He's letting you know that you are of such great value. And so we are servants. We're servants of the Most High God. It is a truth. It is an identity that we must accept. But see, the thing is, is if we stay at that identity, if we stay at the place of believing that we are simply slaves, then we've missed it. Because slaves don't own anything, but sons do. His word says that we have been, we have been predestined to adoption as sons. His word says in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed us with every single spiritual blessing. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. It also says that, that God wants to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of him so that we would know our glorious inheritance of the saints. That we would know that we're not impoverished anymore. We're not people who have nothing. But that we have been blessed with everything through Christ. See, so many of us, we have this slave mentality our whole lives. And, and that's, that's all we want to do. We just, we just look at ourselves and even when we think of our relationship with God, we're like, I'm simply a slave. I'm simply a slave. That's all I am. All I am is a slave. I just want to be your servant, Lord. I just want to be a slave. And that's why I just want to be a slave. I just want to be your servant. But if you stay there and you stay in that simple place, then you miss everything else that God has for you. Because Jesus, he, he himself said, I no longer call you servants. And in the original language, it was stronger than just servants. It meant slaves. I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends, right? But then he says, you're not just friends, but you're my sons. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. And inheritance means you own something. That means God has given you something. See, if we stay in this slave mentality... We don't go out and do the things that God is calling us to do. See, slaves don't go out and subdue and have dominion on the earth. Slaves don't go out and be fruitful and multiply because they have nothing to multiply. See, you have to understand that God has placed each in each one of us things that we need to own. He's placed in you dreams. He's placed in you visions. He's placed in you a call that you have to own. There's so many things that God has blessed you with, but you can't just... You can't just give it away. You have to own it. You have to own it first. The visions that God... How many of you guys have dreams? How many of you guys have visions? Half of you guys. How many of you guys have visions? How many of you guys has God given you dreams? Well, see, so many of us, when we, we become Christian, and this is my experience as well, as soon as I became a Christian, I thought I had to give up all my dreams. I thought I had to submit them all to God and then here, just take all my dreams, take all my wants, take all my desires, and that's it. And then I had nothing. And then when, when it came time where God was like, all right, um, what are your dreams? I'm wanting to sanctify them. I'm wanting to send you out so you can take those dreams and do it to my glory. I was like, well, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't, I don't have any desires. I don't, I don't really know what I'm called to. Because I spent so much of my, my mentality was one of a slave. You know, I just think, oh, I just need to, I just need to work, just need to do, do the simple task. Just, if I just do that and just do that and do that and do that, then I guess God will, God will just honor me. He'll, he'll, he knows my dreams. I don't know my dreams, but he knows them. So he'll do something about it. But see, that's a slave mentality. See, a son, a son knows what God has given him. A son knows that God has empowered them with various things. The son knows that God has given them dreams, that God has written eternity on their hearts. And a son knows how to grasp that. We're not simply servants. We're co-laborers with Christ. That means we have something to offer. You ever think about that? Co-laborers? That means we have something to offer. That means there's something that you and I need to take ownership over in our lives. With so many of us, we look at everything as slaves. See, God is not looking for people who simply do the actions, but instead have hearts and spirits that have caught the vision that God has given them. You know, here at New Philly, we're, trying, we're wanting to raise up an army of mighty warriors, right? Amen? We're not, Pastor Christian is not talking about raising up an army of mighty slaves. He's not talking about raising up an army of, of servants. 
So you know what that means? That means that you and I, each one of us, have to personally own that vision. If the only person that owns the vision is Pastor Christian, if that's the only person who owns it, is that, if that's the only person who takes ownership of the vision of this church, then how are we to go out and set free the captives? Because when you go out on the street, people don't see Pastor Christian, they see you. And so, if you don't own it, what are you going to give them? If you don't own it, if you don't own the message that God has placed in your heart, how are you going to speak that message? If you don't take ownership, if you don't claim every spiritual blessing that God has given you, how do you have any blessings to give away? But see, when we, we don't, many of us, we don't claim that. Well, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just, a, I just want to just be your humble servant, Lord. Just all these things I'll just, I'll just turn away from, you know. And we miss it. We miss the things that God has given us, the dreams that God has empowered us to do. <clears throat> Even with the, the vision of this church, like I was talking about, right? To raise up an army. God is not wanting just one person to raise up an army, but that each one of us have giftings. We all have parts that are, God has put us here at this church to pull in to raise up that army. We all have a part in doing that. Not because we're slaves. We're not slaves to the vision. We're sons. And sons have an equal part to put into everything. See, when, you, when your mentality is that of a slave, you don't work out of obedience. You work out of obligation. You do it because you have to. And then what happens is you do it out of, because, out of the obligation and then you only do the minimum. But when you do it out of a loving, passionate obedience, you do the maximum. Slaves do the minimum, but sons do the maximum. Why? Because they own it. See, the nature of obligation is one of fear. So the slave mentality is, is, is one of fear. Like as, as Pastor Christian talked about, three years ago I, be, I became a Christian. And there was a lot of joy. But then after that it became just a lot of fear. I was just so afraid of my, I was afraid that God was just going to punish me. Every time I messed up, oh God's going to punish me. Every time I mess up, God is waiting to punish me. So I need, to, I need to do the right things, and I did it out of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, his word says. But one of power, love, and of sound mind, right? He calls us not to a relationship of fear, but one of love. And see, when <coughs> God has placed us in so many places in our lives where we have a slave mentality, and we do things out of obligation and fear rather than working, walking in loving obedience. It was so funny, Pastor Christian, sharing my story before I came up here, because I didn't really mean this to be testimonial, but God's highlighting it that way. When I first came to Korea, I worked in a hagwon, like many of you, and I hated it. I hated every single day there. And like the first two months I was there, I was meeting up with Pastor Christian for discipleship, and every, single, every Friday we'd meet up, I would complain about my job. I was like, man, it's, they're trying to take my money again. They're not the kids, man. The kids ain't good. I don't really like working with the people I work with. And all these, I just had this slave mentality. And I hated going into work every single day. Why? Because I felt obligated to it. I felt like I had to go into it. But then what happened was then at some point there was a shift. And I realized that God did not place me in that hagwon just for me to make some money so I could eat. That's a slave mentality. Let me just work and work and work and work. And then, okay, I'll get some money and then I'll eat. And man, I can't wait until, and then I hated my job, but I really loved Saturdays and Sundays. I really loved the time that I spent at New Philly. And then I went back Monday and I hated my job again. And I, okay, let me just get through this so I can get some money so I can eat. No, but you got to understand that each place that God has placed you in, whether it's a hagwon, whether it's a, an office, wherever it is, these are places that God has put you in right now to refine your character, to pull out your giftings. And that if you approach it not as a slave, but as a son, you're going to have a kingdom impact in that place. 
if you approach it not as a slave but as a son here let me tell you what happens is you come to new philly you come excited everyone's excited to come to new philly amen you come to new philly on fridays you come to new philly on sundays and god pours into you and you come under the anointing and you come under the holy spirit and god fills you up and it doesn't just make you like oh man sunday's over i gotta go back to work but you're more excited to go into work because you know that god has filled you to pour out but that's only if you're viewing it as a son and not a slave because slaves feel obligated to do it they don't own it and when you don't own it you do the minimum not the maximum And that's what Paul was talking about. He looked at them and said he didn't want them to work in fear. He wanted, not out of obligation, but out of loving obedience, understanding that they're a son. He looked at them and said, you're not, you need to act like people who own something. You're not slaves, you're sons. And if sons, then heirs. And that's another thing about slaves. See, slaves don't expect the best for themselves. And because they don't own the vision, because they don't own their even, even their own dreams, they're not able to go above and beyond themselves to see it happen. So this is the second thing about slaves. It's not just that slaves don't expect the best, but slaves, slaves a fact about slaves is slaves can't ask for anything. But sons, sons don't even have to ask. But it's best that they do. It's best if you do ask. See, <coughs> a fact about slaves, if you look at throughout history, I mean, slaves, it's just a fact of slavery. Slaves, they don't know where their meal is coming from. They don't know about provision. Slaves only hope that their master provides. Slaves don't, they're not, they don't know that their master will provide for their food each and every day. Slaves don't know that that God, that their master has their best intentions. They can only hope so. They hope for the best. But sons, sons know that their father is providing for their every circumstance. Sons have something slaves don't have. Sons have assurance. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? We know that, right? That faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. Because you're a son and you have faith in your father, it's an assurance. It's a sure thing. You pray for it, you ask, and you receive it. Hebrews eleven six says God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Philippians four nineteen says God meets all our needs according to our riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, He said, Ask and you will receive it, right? He said, Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. But many of us, we just have a slave mentality when it comes to coming before God and asking for anything. We're afraid to ask him for anything. We're, we think God is, all, we think our father is always mad at us. We think God is this angry taskmaster who's standing up in heaven with his checkoff list. And because we've messed up here and there, we can't ask him for anything. And even if we do ask him, we feel, we feel guilty, don't we? We feel guilty. I, Lord, I mean, I really would like a MacBook, but I mean, just for your kingdom, no, no, it's okay. Just give it to someone else. You know, it's all right. But, and we think, we think God only hears like the righteous prayers, right? The righteous prayers. Well, we, well, we, we puff it up and we just, oh, your glory and everything. I'm not saying anything's wrong with those prayers. But that's, we fall into this religious mentality. That's what the Pharisees did. They stood up and they, they said all these huge pr prayers. And Jesus said, you think with your many words you'll be heard. You're babbling. You can come before your God, your God, your Father in heaven. You can boldly approach the throne of grace because you're a son, not a slave. And you can ask for anything in your time of need. That's not my word. That's his word. Like... a in the month of, in in November I was I was just praying I was just in my just having my quiet time and I'm just praying and all of a sudden I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like pray for the cancellation of your debt your credit card debt I was like huh okay sounds like a good prayer I'll pray it 
And so I just prayed it. But as I prayed it, I didn't, I didn't feel like there was something I should be praying. Pray for the cancellation of my debt? Lord, that's, that's kind of weird. That's kind of like, isn't that like prosperity stuff? Like, what is that? That's really wrong, God. But see, the thing is, God looks at this. He says, we are his children. It was your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If he'll give you the kingdom, how much more anything else? If he'll give you his son, how much more anything else? It says that in Romans 8.32, right? That he who would give us his only son, how much more would he not give us all things? He says when we ask him for fish, he, he, won't, give us, he won't give us a serpent. We ask him for bread, he won't give us a stone. Because we are his sons. But we have this slave mentality in our minds. And, and to go back to that testimony, I prayed it. I prayed it. And I, and I prayed it. And I prayed it that one time. And afterwards, I didn't really have the faith to believe that anything was going to happen. But I prayed it anyways. And then the next week came around. And all of a sudden, I get this letter. Well, no, I call home and I talk to my mom. And my mom's like, Marcus? Uh, we got this letter in the mail. And my mom has this like really thick southern accent because I'm from the south. And she said, Marcus, I got this letter in the mail. And it says your um, your credit cards are six months overdue. Um, it's saying that if you don't pay by next week, it's going to default. I was like, how much do I need? Uh, I think you need to like $2,500. Oh, how much do I have? Uh, 30? Oh, snap. This isn't going to work. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it wasn't funny then, but it's funny now. Because then the next week, God orchestrated things to completely cancel my debt. He didn't. Why? Because I'm a son. And he provides for his children. That's why when, when we pray, we pray specific prayers. Because if you don't pray a specific prayer, you won't know it that it's answered. If you don't pray for the things that are on your heart, how do you expect God to answer them? God wants relationship with you. He doesn't want to read your mind and then figure out, okay, this is what they need. Okay, now, now I'll provide it. He'll do that sometimes. Oh, God, I thought it and you provided it. But he wants relationship. He wants you to experience that leaping out and saying it to him. God, I'm your son. I would like this. I want this, Lord. So that then he can be like, well, you are my son and I will give it to you. There's an intimacy there that is, is beyond anything you can think of, right? It's like when you're a little kid and you want that game gear, you want that Sega Genesis and you ask your parents and you're like, I really want this Sega and then your parents give it to you. There's a connection that comes there. It's, you feel like a son, you feel like a child of your parents. And so we need to see ourselves as sons that can come before our God and ask him for anything. Anything. You believe you can ask your God for anything? Anything. He says, graciously give us all things. But it takes being renewed in your mind to know that you are not a slave any longer. You are not some illegitimate child who is down and rejected. Your earthly parents may have never given you what you wanted. Your earthly parents may have, every time you brought them a petition, they may have always said that you have, that, oh, we don't have it, or it is not a priority to me. Your earthly parents may have never showered you with anything. Or they may have just given it to you and then required that you do something back. And then you felt guilty for even receiving it in the first place. But that is not your heavenly father. Your heavenly father doesn't give things to you with a condition. He doesn't, he doesn't give it to you and say, here, I'm going to give this to you now, but I expect something in return. Because what kind of relationship is that? That sounds like bribery. Your sons. And you're not slaves. The third thing is that slaves have rights. 
Slaves have rights and slaves have not just rights, but they have... Well, slaves, slaves don't have rights, sorry. The, the third thing was that slaves don't have rights. In some places, slaves did have rights, but they were limited. So slaves don't have rights, any rights at all, or they're very, very limited. But sons, they have a right to everything. In <coughs> back in the in the eighteen hundreds, you know, when there was there was slavery in America, you had these two different types of slaves in America. You had field slaves and you had house slaves. You heard this term before? The field slaves were the slaves that were out in the field, obviously. And the house slaves were the slaves that were obviously in the house. I know. You guys are geniuses. I affirm you guys in that. Me too. No, but see, with these two slaves, the field slaves would do all the grunt work. They were out in the field. It was hot. They're doing all the work. While the house slaves were in the house. And they, they they dressed up all nice. They got to sleep in the house. But they were still slaves. I'll tell you what I'm getting at. The house slave did less work and they and they oftentimes did better clothes and they had a chance to be in the master's presence all the time. But they were still slaves. How many of us are house slaves? How many of us have been brought into the master's house, but we're still slaves? See, so many people in the church have went from being field slaves, out in the field, out in the world. They're in slavery, in bondage, out in the world, just to being house slaves. They exchanged the external slavery for an internal one. They kept the mindset of being a slave. They just changed locations. That is a good point. Amen. I amen myself. Hallelujah. (laughs) But so many people in the church have went from being field slaves to being house slaves and are just content with being in the master's house. I heard a sermon a couple days ago where the, and I'm not knocking this person who was preaching, but they were saying that we all have great things in store, that we all have desires to be significant, that you're destined for great things. And then about halfway through the sermon, the person stopped. And they said, you know what? No, no, you're servants, you're slaves, you're nothing. Remember that, you're nothing. Remember, you got to humble yourself. You're just a slave. You're just a servant. I left pretty confused. Wait, am I destined for something significant or am I a slave that has nothing and can do nothing? Don't you see the confusion there? Do you recognize it in your own hearts? We change locations and we get inside the house. We get before the master. We're in his presence all the time. But still yet our mindset is I need to work. I need to work. I need to work some more. Let me be his house slave now. It's almost worse to be a house slave than to be a field slave. Because a house slave wears the clothes of a son but has none of the rights. A house slave is in the house but isn't a son. Therefore, it's dangled before them the entire time. They see other pe- They see the sons walking around. The sons can go into the fridge. They can get themselves some chicken. They can get themselves some food. But the slaves can't. The slaves don't eat the same food. Because they're slaves. They have a form of, of sonship. But no rights. That's what religion is. A form of godliness but no power. But see, sons. Sons have access to the fridge, don't they? Sons have access to everything in the house. Sons can, sons can go into the house not saying it's my master's house, but saying it's my father's house. 
It's my father's house. I can go into my father's house. I can sleep in my bed that is in my father's house because my father prepared me a room in that house. And he says, everything that is mine is yours. And he wants us to, to come into that, that we're not, we're not slaves. And just because you get into the house, you still have to, he changes us into being sons, not slaves anymore. You're not even a house slave. You're a son. David said in Psalm 84 that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of his God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And a lot of times we just we read that word and we stand at that word and we're like, God, I'm just so thankful that I'm even at the door. And that's great. It's great for us to be initially thankful that we're at the door and not in the tents of wickedness. But see, David didn't stop there. David said, one thing I desire of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I will dwell in the house. That I will see my father. I will gaze upon him. And then not just that, but I will inquire of him in his house. I will seek him in his temple. Why? Because I am his child. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am his. His presence never leaves me. No matter where I go, he is there. Because I am his son. I can dwell in his house forever. I can have that relationship with him. I can inquire of him. And he will answer me. That's us. We're not slaves. We don't have to just be content with being at the door. God wants you to come on in. This is your home. You can sleep here. You can rest here. You can eat here. He doesn't want us to stand at the door in fear. But go in in sonship. And the fourth thing about slaves that's different than sons is that slaves don't free other slaves. Slaves don't free other slaves. Only sons, only people that have been freed, only only sons can free slaves. See, there's people with the slave mentality, and I'm not there's people that have slave mentality, but they still do good things. We can still do good things with a slave mentality. But you go out, reach people, but still everything seems very limited. Limited fruit. And it's because slaves can't free slaves. That is true in the natural. That's true in the spiritual. Slaves can't free slaves. And when we walk around with the slave mentality, we don't have the ability to do anything. I'll give you a couple examples. Everyone knows the biblical story of Joseph, right? Joseph got the vision, and then his brothers were mad hating on him until they, you know, they sell him. You know what I'm saying? They sell him into slavery. And then Joseph goes, he goes from being a slave, and then into, into Potiphar's house. And then from Potiphar's house, he goes into the prison. And then after being in the prison, then Joseph's freed and he becomes prime minister, right? But how many people did Joseph free? What kind of impact did Joseph really have when he was a slave? The warden? The the cupbearer? Potiphar? Was that three people? He's, he, I'm sure he impacted a couple more people than that. But not that many. Joseph had an impact when he was in the prison but he wasn't the only person he saved was the cupbearer he couldn't even save himself three people that's a slave right there think about if joseph would have been content with that oh i i saved the cupbearer i i helped the warden out i helped out potiphar well that's that's good awesome yes but we have that mentality We, we, we do one good thing, and it's great to rejoice over that one good thing. But when do we say, yes, but God has destined me for so much more. There's so much more on the way. Because, see, when Joseph was granted freedom, he impacted thousands. When Joseph became a prime minister, he changed an entire nation. It was when he came out of that slavery and became free, 
and was standing in his identity as a son of God that he was really able to impact thousands. It was only till Joseph was brought out of slavery and into his sonship identity as being royalty that he was able to impact people with the kingdom. And it's the same thing for you and I. We may impact a few people here and there when we're slaves. We experience that kind of grace. But when we're brought to a place of sonship and we understand that we're not, we are sons and not slaves, that is when we really have kingdom impact. You know, you look, I was talking about in the 1800s, right? Just in American history with, with, diff, with uh, the slavery that happened in America. And when you look at all the people who are the, the, the people who brought so much change in that, they were all free. Everyone knows Harriet Tubman, right? She was leader, champion of the Underground Railroad. How many people would she have done? How many people would she have led to freedom if she was still a slave? How many people? I'm sure she would have helped out a few people here and there, showed them the right way, helped them out a bit. But it was when she was granted her own freedom that she was able to set others free. It's what I was talking about, about owning it. That when you are set free from the slave mentality and you come into the sonship mentality, you're able to set other people free. You have a freedom to give away. You have something to offer. And you have authority to initiate it. See, slaves are always under a yoke. They're too busy carrying their own burdens to free anybody. They're too busy doing their own work to try and free anyone. And when, we're, when we see ourselves as slaves, we don't see ourselves with any kind of personal dignity or worth. We do something and immediately we cast it down. You know, like, I do some of the design, I do the, a lot of the design work for the church. And most of the time when I would do put something together, immediately I would look at it and be like, man, this is, this is crap. I'd be like, man, this is, this is horrible. This isn't that good. This isn't going to bless anyone. And so then if someone would see it and see something wrong with it, then I'd just be devastated. Because I already thought it was bad, but now I find out it's worse. That's the mentality of a slave. that we don't believe that we have we don't believe that we have ourselves personal dignity and worth and therefore how are we to speak that someone else has personal dignity how how are we going to say that someone else has dignity and worth if we don't believe that we ourselves have dignity and worth a revelation that God gave me this week when I was meditating about Jesus was that because I never understood what it meant to be a son the fact that God would give up his son didn't mean as much to me. That sounds pretty bad. Because I thought that, you know, my dad giving me up didn't mean much to him. So how, how, how's it going to mean that much to God? He gave up his son. Okay, well. But when you understand that you have person, you have dignity, you have worth, it magnifies those things. When you understand you have something to offer, when God has put amazing things in you, it's not, it doesn't bring you to a place, it, it shouldn't bring you to a place of pride if you understand that God's the one who's given it to you. But when you understand that you have that and you look at your brother and sister who's struggling... Or you see someone out on the street who's selling themselves, selling themselves to the things of this world. You come to an understanding that they're not slaves, they're sons. You have a fuller understanding of what that means. God hasn't given us a message to preach. He's making us the message. And it's that we're sons and not slaves.
See, God is wanting to show us that that we can come before Him, that we got that we can own the things that He's given to us. We don't have to cast it away. We can own it. That we can come before Him boldly and and ask for all our needs. That we can that we have rights. There's things that He's given us that we're no longer just house slaves. So that then we can set other people free. Everyone turn to Luke 15. And I'll close with this. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. From verses 11 to 32. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to go over it. Everyone knows the story of the prodigal son, right? That there was a father with two sons. And one, of the, and one of the sons came to the father and said, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me the share of the property that is mine. And he divided the property between them. And when he spent everything, right? The prodigal son, he spent everything. And what happened? He became, he became a slave. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens. He sold himself into slavery but when he came to himself he said how many how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father he realizes that if he's a slave in his father's house that it would be so much better than just being simply a slave out in the world and so he gets up and he goes back home but his father was looking for him the entire time right And so his father sees him from afar and he runs after him. And not only does he run after him, but as soon as he gets to him, he just jumps over him. He jumps on him and they fall to the ground. And then he gets, he picks him up and and he dusts him off and he gives him the robe. He gives him the signet ring. He gives him the sandals. He gives him the things signifying that he's a son, that he's pure, that he's an heir. He brings him into his house. He says, you are not a slave. You are a son. And if a son, then an heir. But there's two sons. The other son sees all of this and grows bitter in his heart, right? Because the other son's been in the master's house. He's been in his father's house the entire time, but he's been a house slave. He's been working and working and working for his father's assurance. He's been hoping that his father would see the work that he's been doing and be proud of him. And so when he sees his younger brother receiving this and receiving this acceptance, he grows bitter. How can you love him like this? And his father turns to him and he says, son, all that is mine is yours. He turns to his older son and he says the exact same thing that Paul said in Galatians 4. He says, You too, you are not a slave, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir. And the Father says that to each one of you tonight. You are not a slave. Cast off the slave mentality. Cast off that identity. That is not you anymore. You are a son. And if a son and also an heir. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now not as slaves, Lord God, but as sons. We come before you right now, Father God, casting off, Lord, the mentality, Lord, that we're not good enough, Lord. Casting off the mentality, Lord, that we're dirty, Lord. Casting off the mentality, Lord, that we, Father God, are are hated by you, Lord God, or that you're angry with us, Father God. Casting off the mentality, Lord, that you do not hear our prayers or that you do not care about what is on our hearts, Lord. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, casting off the things of this world, Lord, casting off the old self, Lord. 
casting off this mentality as a slave lord. Lord, to receive, Lord. Just to receive from you, God. Lord, we are sons. We are not slaves, Lord. We can boldly approach you now, and Father, we do. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just continue to to loosen, Lord, this slave mentality off of your church, God. Father, you establish our steps, Lord. Not to walk with our heads down, Lord God, in shame, in guilt, in self-condemnation, Lord, in despair, Lord. You are the lifter of our heads, Lord. Because you love us, Lord, and you call us sons, God. How great is the love that you have lavished upon us, Lord, that we should be called children of God and that we are, Lord. And so, Father, we receive that identity right now, Lord. Being sons of the living God. We receive, Lord, the the fact that you are for us, Lord, and not against us. We receive, Lord God, the fact, Lord God, that you are working all things for our good, Lord. And that you have a plan for our lives, Lord, not to harm us, but to prosper us. Plans to give us a hope and a future, God. And Lord, as sons, we just seize that future. We cling to that hope and that future, Lord. We take hold of it right now, Lord. And we pull it, Lord God. We pull it from heaven down to earth, Lord God, into our lives, Lord God. And that, Father, we will be vessels, Lord. We will be sons upon this earth, Lord. To bring peace where there's strife, God. To bring your kingdom, Lord God, into the areas where there's war, Lord. For, Father, you call us peacemakers. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have deposited your spirit in us, God. And, Lord, we can come before you and cry, Abba, Father. We thank you so much, Lord. Empower your church, Lord, not to walk as slaves. Not to walk as slaves to a vision. Not to walk as slaves to anything, Lord. But to walk as sons. Free sons. And that we would spread that freedom upon this earth, Lord. To set free the captive, God. That we would take captive those who are our captors, Lord. We thank you, God. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.